Hello, everyone. Rev Brad coming to you from the Touchline. Today's podcast episode features special guest Wells Thompson. Wells was an instrumental part of the Colorado Rapids 2010 side, which won MLS Cup, and he's one of the hardest working, grittiest midfielders I've ever met. I'm excited to interview and talk to him, and I want you to hear more about what he's doing in the years since he's retired from the game. So don't go far. We get running with Wells right after this. a little off foot thinking he's going to go far post not strong enough with his right hand whips that one in far post almost made him in and they have he has the hat trick the second in his career the third of the night the hat trick hero talked about you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure to the corner goes towards the near post and you're the angle and what a goal what a goal Well, I want to introduce a special guest and a friend of mine to you, Wells Thompson. Wells, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Brad. Well, Wells, uh, it's been a number of years since uh, you were last. We were last together. It was uh, the Colorado Rapids. You played uh, with the club from, I think it was what? Did you join in 2010 or was it a little bit earlier? I can't remember. It was 2010 during that magical year that we won the championship. Yeah, and and you ended up playing, what, two, three years with the Rapids? Uh, Almost a full three years. I was traded at the end of my third year to Chicago. So I basically played three years. Great. Yeah, well, Wells and I go back to uh, 2010. Uh, Most of you know I serve as the volunteer chaplain for the Colorado Rapids, and... uh, Wells uh, came in a trade uh, early in 2010 to the club, and uh, and I forget. Well, do you remember uh, the first time that we met? I, to be honest, I, I confess I don't remember. Uh, was it a was it a team Bible study or a, a pregame prayer or what was it? Well, I'm a little upset that you don't remember, but not that upset because I don't remember either. I think that though, if uh, it, it definitely was probably a, a team Bible study or uh, a function like that. Well, we'll have to go back into the time vault of my brain, and and I'll try and remember. Uh, maybe for a future podcast, I'll be able to to bring it up and say, yeah, oh, I remember this. Um, I, I do remember. I do remember that you were coming from the New England Revolution. And I think that one of the um, ministry guys that was working with the team, one of the athletes in action guys, had told me, hey, you've got Wells Thompson come to your team, and he's a fantastic guy. I spent quite a bit of time with him. And uh, I, do, I do remember that part of it, but I, I just don't remember that first time that we met and spent some time together, although I've got plenty of great memories and stories and pictures uh, from your time here in Colorado. So, uh, oh, man, I feel like I'm trying to dig out of a hole. But, well, maybe, maybe we'll get running in, into, this, uh, into this podcast interview a little bit more and get past this first part. So, Wells, you've, you've actually played football, soccer for a long time. You've got football running through your veins. So let's, let's talk a little bit about your, your background and your past. And uh, first, I mean, maybe start off sharing a little bit about where you grew up and, and when did you start playing soccer? How did you get into the game? I grew up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And uh, I started playing soccer when I was about four years old. Um, I have an older brother. I have a younger sister too, but an older brother that's like a year and a half older than me and was a really good athlete. And so he started playing soccer before I did, and I just kind of followed in his footsteps. Um, as a kid, actually, I grew up playing basically every sport you can imagine. Um, ice hockey, believe it or not, being from North Carolina, baseball, basketball, um, golf, um, you know, you kind of name it, I played it. Uh, but soccer was my, my true passion and probably uh, – the sport that I was best at. So I ended up, you know, the older I got, the more I had to kind of prioritize my time and soccer remained. So if soccer wasn't your, your sport, like what would be your second sport? Like if you had to play a second sport, like what, what's your favorite? What's your go-to? What do you, what do you enjoy most? Uh, it was, it, it was baseball. Um, uh, 
I, I loved playing ice hockey. If you watch a little bit of, of me play soccer, you probably see a little bit of hockey player in me. Um, but it was probably my, <laughs> how, wait, wait, how is that? Is that just like knocking guys over? Or is that just like trying to, trying to be first <laughs> or something? Or, or what, what do you mean by, if you watch ice hockey, you'll see a little bit of something in me. Um, you know, I'm a gritty, aggressive player. I'm not one to shy away from a challenge. And, uh, you know, so that, that's what I mean by that. And I love the physical aspect of hockey. Uh, I just, I, I, I'm a physical guy in general and I like, I like to, I, I don't know, engage in that sort of thing. And, um, that is probably one of the things I miss most about, um, leaving the game is, um, the real world is definitely overrated. And so oftentimes when I'm sitting in the office for several hours, I just want to be out on the, the nice green grass tackling somebody or scoring a goal. Um, but, you know, if I had to say my, my, uh, my backup sport was definitely baseball. Um, I was a very good baseball player. Um, you know, I, I probably got more accolades in, in baseball or more recognized in baseball than did in soccer as a little kid. You know, I played on baseball AAU teams. Uh, my dad would always say, though, that I picked soccer because baseball was too slow for me. Um, and uh, I, I definitely probably agree with that. What uh, position did you play in baseball? Um, I, you know, I put, as a kid, I played all over. I mean, I pitched, I caught a little bit, second base, shortstop, even outfield. Um, I could really kind of play anywhere. Didn't play first or third. Um, but, you know, I think uh, versatility was probably a strength of mine in, in soccer as well. And so it served me well there in baseball too. Okay. Okay. So, so baseball being too slow and soccer, I mean, being hockey is a fast sport as well. So I can see perhaps some of your enjoyment there. So, so tell me what's your, uh, what's your, do you have any claims to fame in terms of speed in soccer or speed in any, uh, in the sport or, or, uh, I don't know. Tell me what that's like. I know sometimes guys compare their, or they used to compare their 40 yard dash feeds, but I mean, do you have anything like that where you're like, yeah, this is, I'm fast or I enjoy the game because I, I mean, is there anything for you in that way? Um, I mean, I, you definitely say that I'm fast. Um, I was always like the fastest kid growing up, you know, one of the fastest kids growing up. And I think that's probably, um, you know, why I excelled. Um, it's interesting, you know, I, I have kids now, I've got a six-year-old, a three-year-old and a one-year-old and I'm just getting them into to soccer, right. And to sports and I want them to play. And, you know, so you try to kind of flesh this stuff out because I can't remember when I was four and five years old. And so, you you know, I've been asking my parents, like, you know, was I, did you know that I was a good player at that age and, and those sorts of things. And, you know, they, they tell me that they, they could tell from a real young age that God had blessed me with natural gifts um, and abilities and especially in soccer. And uh, so I think, uh, uh, and speed was a part of that. I was, uh, I was just always kind of a fast kid and, you know, that uh, strength definitely gets neutralized uh, farther, the farther up you climb the ladder uh, in terms of the levels that you go to. Um, I, Omar Cummings probably beat me in a sprint, but I don't know <laughs> Wait, about right probably. now, but he probably, <laughs> yeah, probably I'm, I, you know, look, I'm not gonna, and, uh, you know, and so quickness and fast and yeah, I was definitely fast, but I was also very quick. And, uh, so there's, you know, there's different kinds of fast. There's like a hundred mile fast and there's like uh 40 yard fast. True, um, true. yeah, <laughs> but no, 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 well, we, you know what, maybe one of the celebration points we can do uh, as the Rapids are going to honor the 2010 group again uh, this year on the 10 year anniversary of winning the cup is we will have a foot race between you and Omar now. How about that? Okay. We'll, I'll, I'll call up Omar. We'll, we'll get it on the table and we'll just go, Hey, the length of the field right before kickoff of, of the, the game that the Rapids do their celebration around you and Omar We'll see who's fastest now after the game. How's that sound? 
I'd prefer a B test. I'd prefer a B test, but uh, okay, we okay. could try that. We we could we could arrange that. I bet I, I bet we can arrange a B test between you and Omar. I, I'd be curious <laughs> to see who wins that. So, uh, well, Wells on um, on Wikipedia. If anybody goes and looks up Wells Thompson, you are listed as a midfielder. So. Tell me, like, did you, I mean, baseball is one of those sports. And, and as a kid, you end up playing kind of multiple different positions. But when did you kind of land and settle into the midfield? And what position, you know, did you find in the midfield that you really enjoyed playing? Was, you know, for those that are are knowledgeable about soccer, maybe if you could tell us, you know, what number you were. That I, I mean, guys understand that that part of, of the side of the game. So, where where did you end up in the midfield, and and how did you end up there? Like, who was there a coach that saw that in you? Like, how did that come to be? Um, you know, if you if you're not familiar with soccer, midfield is the middle, so you're between the defenders and the attackers. So you do a lot of the running, but you're kind of the middle layer there. Um, you know, I think growing up, I was I was fast, so I played a lot of forward, um, and then I think generally. Like in youth soccer, the uh, the best player plays kind of in the center of the midfield um, or one of the best players. And so that's where I played the majority of my youth career was at the center midfield. Um, then when I went so, to college, so like I... Or? Yeah, sure. 10, yeah, sure. Um, anywhere kind of in there. And uh, when I went to college, I was moved out wide. And I hated it. It was uh, very different. So I played on the flank. So you kind of, you don't have as much freedom. You're constrained by the sideline, you know, and um, you're basically stay on one side of the field. And it was a very difficult transition for me. I, I learned to kind of accept it and adapt and excel uh, there. Um, but I, I've always preferred the, the center of the field. I think there's, you know, you're you're around the action more. Um, you're probably getting on the ball a little bit more. And, uh, you know, who doesn't want that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Was there a particular side that you ended up playing in college? Did you play right or left? I mean, how, how did that work out for you? Yeah, I'm predominantly right-footed. Uh, so I like to play on the left side because I could cut in with my right. Um, that's kind of what Messi does. He plays on the right. Um, he's left footed, but plays on the right, so he can cut in with his left. Um, so, um, you know, in college, I really enjoyed playing on the left side. When I got to the pros, uh, especially with New England, uh, they were a little bit more like drive to the end line and cross it in. And uh, so, um, I, you know, I probably I'm a little bit strong on my right, so probably would have preferred to be on my right. But anyway, I I learned to adapt and get better with my left foot. So okay, I'm, I'm right. ambidextrous, amphibious. Amphibious and ambidextrous. Well, so 2006, uh, college you play for Wake Forest, Demon Deacons. You guys end up third in the nation and if i read right you led the team in goals is that right uh i did yeah how how many goals did you have that year i think i had seven Ooh, magic number well um tell us more about that year was that uh was that your senior year was that kind of like a highlight year for you what what was 2006 um yeah that was you know, my junior year um I mean, I wasn't expected to really play much at Wake Forest at all. I walked onto the team as kind of like a recruiter walk-on. Ended up playing a bunch my freshman year, kind of struggled a little bit my sophomore year. And then kind of my breakout season was my, my junior year. I scored seven goals then as well. Um, but, I, you know, I think it was just probably gaining a lot of confidence, getting more comfortable. Um, you know, I think that it, you play to the – to you, you kind of your play rises to the level of the players that you're playing with, and so, you know, for example, like if you're in high school and you're watching a college team practice, you're probably like, man, those guys are good. You know, it's hard to see myself playing with them, but when you get there, um, they're so much better; they make you better. And um, so I was just 
you know, Wake Forest is a, has, has a truly incredible soccer uh, family environment and atmosphere. And I just, um, you know, a lot of players, not just me, but a lot of players thrive there. And so I was thankful and fortunate that I was able to have that experience. Yeah. And, and you play, did you play all four years then at, uh, at Wake? I did. I played all four years. I ended up doing a lot of summer school um, and graduating in three and a half years because the draft's in January. So I ended up leaving after the, the fall season, which is basically the, the, the counting season for men's soccer in college and um, in preparation for the draft. Sure. And um, who it was, it was New England that drafted you, right? Tell us more about that. Yeah. So I, you know, at Wake Forest, um, so I'm already an underdog, right. Coming into Wake Forest. Like, I mean, Wake Forest perennially, perennially is the top five in the country. Um, and, uh, so they're like a powerhouse, right. So they're recruiting Gatorade national player of the years, two time all Americans. And here I am just this local kid. I, you know, I grew up like five minutes from campus. So I knew the coaches and it's kind of a thing that, um, you know, when, when I actually got drafted, they told me that they thought I would never play a day at Wake Forest. And so I told them, thanks for the confidence. Uh, no kidding. But, uh, <laughs> that was just kind of the, that was the expectation of me. Right. And I just came in and I, I rose, I beat their expectations. Right. And, um, but, uh, so I didn't even know, like I had, I had a good college career. Right. But I was not an all American. I wasn't a two time all American. And, so I wasn't really sure what was going to happen or if I was going to get drafted. And two days before the draft, my college coach, David Davidovich, called me in his office and said, Hey, well, you need to fly it to Indianapolis because that was where the draft was that year. Uh, you're going to get, you're going to get picked. And I was like, really? And so, <laughs> so me and my mom and my dad, we flew up kind of on our own dime. And, uh, you know, if you're going to get picked in the first round, then we'll also fly you up and take, take care of you and those sorts of things. And, um, you know, come draft time, my, my, you know, they have a section in the room cordoned off for the players and their family. And my dad gets a seat on the front row. And I'm like, dad, what are you doing, man? Like, I'm going to be the kid that kind of sits there and then gets picked, you know? And, uh, was, was dad there. just being, was dad just being super eager or, or what was going on there? Uh, he was, I, you know, who knows? He was excited to be there and he wanted to get a front row seat. I can't blame him. I mean, I probably would do the same thing, but, uh, I was up there with my best friend, Ryan Solly, who uh, we played at Wake together, and he was a two-time All-American. He was a midfielder as well. And so I knew that the New England Revolution, who had the 11th pick, liked me and uh, were possibly going to draft me. Well, about 30 minutes before the draft started, New England trades their pick for the fifth pick. And so, you know, the previous picks of New England are, are Michael Parkhurst and uh, Clint Dempsey, a couple of no-names, you know? No, I'm kidding. Yeah. A couple great oh you know, great players. And, uh, so I'm like, there's just no way they're going to pick me. Well, come fifth pick, they ended up saying from Wake Forest, uh, midfielder. And my, actually my friend, Ryan Solly, um, tells me after the draft that he starts to stand up because he thinks they're going to call his name oh. and they call my name. And, uh, you know, I just, I'm, it's kind of surreal from that point on, but I try not to trip walking up to shake, <laughs> the commissioner's hand and um oddly enough Ryan Solly got drafted by New England uh in the next round or their next pick or something like that so we were able to play together and kind of laugh about it after it but yeah man wow. dream come true never thought it was going to happen but it did and I'm thankful wow so so you end up being first pick but you you actually flew up on your own dime did MLS reimburse you or <laughs> I'm just kidding um no they probably. didn't <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. They were saving money back then. Um, wow. What a, what a story. So totally unexpected, totally out of the blue. Um, Indianapolis. I'm trying to remember if I was there in 07. I, I go to many at the drafts um, when they used to have it uh, in the, in the different cities. So, but, but again, the, the vault of Rev's head is like locked tight from 2010 on. And uh, so I <laughs> dig back into some notes there. So, um, 2007 January, you get drafted, and and then what? You end up doing preseason with New England. Yeah, I end up I end up going and to do a preseason with New England, and um, you know, it was it was a it was a different 
a position for me to be in. I was always kind of this underdog kid and underappreciated and undervalued. I felt so anyway. Maybe it wasn't that way on the outside, but uh, to a certain extent it was. And here I am kind of this number one draft pick. Um, and uh, just trying to really kind of wrap my head around what's going on and enjoy it as much as possible. I knew England had uh, great teams at this time. So like uh, Taylor Twelman, Steve Rothstein, uh, Matt Reese, like they had been to the, the MLS Cup the past two years, had lost. Um, and uh, we actually ended up having a really good year. We won the U.S. Open Cup that year. It's the first trophy that uh, New England ever ever won. And then we made it to MLS Finals, but ended up losing to uh, the Houston Dynamo. So it was, a, it was a really cool rookie season. Who Who was your goalkeeper that year in 07? Matt Reese. Do you remember? It was Reese. Okay. So I remember we, we had a goalkeeper, uh, Aiden Brown, who went from Colorado to New England, I think. And uh, I think he played in one of the cup finals for New England, but maybe that was previous year. Um, yeah. Wow. So, so 2007, um, unexpected. Your buddy's standing up to get drafted because he thinks he's, he's all that. And uh, it's actually you. Uh, you end up going. Um, what what was it like being in New England? Just, um, I mean, you're kind of, was this first time away from home? Was this first time, I mean, away from everything you'd known and grown up? Or what what was it? Was it like that? What, what was it like for you? Um, it wasn't the first time away from home. I'd spent a, a year and a half in, in high school. I was kind of a troubled kid, so I got sent away to upstate New York for a little bit. Um, but it was definitely different from being in the South. I'll tell you that. And if anybody knows me, they know that I'm, you know, I'm going to smile and I'm going to wave at you and say, Hey, if we pass and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit different up there. Um, you know, I guess people are a little bit more to themselves. And, uh, so it was a difficult transition. It was, it's, it was definitely colder and different environment. Um, I think, uh, adjusting to the pro game was difficult. I mean, right there's a lot of transitions going on. So I, yeah. I, you know, I grew up in Winston-Salem. I play uh, college soccer in Winston-Salem and then so all in the South and then I'm going to the North. And uh, some of the stereotypes are true, right? Obviously some of them aren't, but uh, cause I met some awesome people and it's a, it's an awesome area. You know, I think that um, one of the greatest blessings that God has given me, and I've realized this the older I've gotten uh, from soccer is just the fact that it's taken me all over the world. And it's, uh, it's, uh, introduced me to people from all over the world. I think that, uh, it's one of the greatest things that we can do as humans is to, to travel, to see, um, this big world that God's created and how different it is. And it just kind of exposes you to different things and, um, challenges your beliefs and, uh, so I was a new, I came to know Jesus my junior year in college. And, uh, and, uh, um, so I, when I got drafted, I knew that that was my platform to kind of share Jesus and to love other people. And so I, I always kid about this, but I was the typical Christian athlete. Like it didn't matter what question the reporter asked me, everything was Jesus, my Lord and Savior. So I kind of kid, you know, like, well, what are you going to eat for dinner tonight? Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And then I realized <laughs> that, like, <laughs> uh, you know, it was okay to say pizza or I'm going to eat a salad or that sort of thing. And so, you know, I gained a little bit of maturity, but uh, that made the adjustment that much harder. Um, people in the South, you know, everyone says they love Jesus. And, uh, you know, going to church means you love Jesus. And, you know, up North people keep that to themselves a little bit more. So, I'll never forget in our my our very first interview was a get to know Wolf Thompson and I talked about Jesus and uh, the the team uh, media kind of relations person at the time told me after the story was printed that I shouldn't talk like that um, because people up here wouldn't like me. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, and I remember that being like a real, it was actually a very pivotal point in my life because. Um, here I am, like, you know, if you love Jesus in the South, most of the people are going to like you and, like, encourage you in that. And so, uh, but it was, looking back, it was the greatest thing that could have ever happened to me because it, it made me make my faith my own. And, uh, you know, I just couldn't, 
rely on Sunday school answers or what mom and daddy taught me. So I really had to ask the tough questions. Sure. Sure. Wow. What a, what a difference. And, and to you've, you've kind of hinted at the cultural differences. I think that's, that's one of the things that's unique about soccer and football here in the United States is that just, you have so many different parts of the country where uh, the game is played now. And you, and you see some of those cultural differences, um, even between, uh, you know, uh, North and South or East and West. And, and it's interesting to, to see you, as you said, your career kind of took you around and has taken you around through different levels of, of soccer here in the U S um, you've played for MLS teams and lower division teams. So, so beyond, um, you know, some of what you've already talked about, what are there some other favorite memories or, or times that you have just from, uh, playing, uh, throughout playing soccer throughout the U S what, what are some of your favorites, favorite moments? Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, yeah. So I played seven years in the MLS and then I was going to retire and kind of walk away from the game and God called me back. And so I ended up playing two years in the lower leagues. You know, I've, I've won at a U.S. open cup, uh, uh, MLS cup, um, a super Liga with, uh, new England and, uh, you know, been a part of some pretty special things. Right. And so, um, but when I think about, or when I get asked this sort of question, what comes to mind are the people, the people that I met and the relationships that I've established. Uh, I'll never forget the, you know, it's, it's, you're always, you always want more, right? Like, so I remember when I got drafted, I thought this would like satisfy everything in me. And then when I won the U S open cup, uh, ended up scoring the game winning goal. Like I would think like, this is it, right? This is everything I've worked for. And, uh, nothing just kind of really satisfies you. So, you know, what I really take away from my career is, is the traveling is meeting people is, you know, the relationships I've established, like, you know, with you, Brad, and uh, the people I've met along the way. I think that at the end of the day is what truly matters and kind of what, uh, what comes to mind, um, you know, when people ask that question, I mean, that, that doesn't downplay like going to Seattle and playing in front of 75,000 people is like spectacular. Right. Um, winning MLS cup and going to the white house and meeting with the president is spectacular. Uh, you know, those are all really cool things. And I, I, I I'm so thankful that I experienced them, but like the lasting things the re- are the relationships and the people. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Those, uh, I mean, I was just talking to my wife and my kids the other day, uh, just about as we went through some pictures during this time of quarantine, we've kind of been going through some old photographs and, on the computer and, and uh, it's fun to see all the different folks that have been part of um, our life because of the gift God's given to us in, in being able to do the chaplaincy with the Rapids and, and others throughout uh, pro soccer throughout the world. And um, you're right. It's, it's the people, it's the memories that you share with them. Uh, it's the, it's the challenges and adversity you go through. And, and it's also the, the celebrations you go through. In fact, I, you know, it was, it was funny. I, I met someone who was kind of new to the idea of chaplaincy and football and they're like, Oh, I guess you chaplains are just around for the bad stuff. And, uh, and I kind of, you know, didn't want to say too much. I kind of get nodded. Yeah. Kind of agreed. Yeah. You're, you're right. You know, we're here for the bad stuff, but walked away thinking, no, actually, there's been a lot of good stuff that I've been able to be part of and, and, and been blessed to be part of. It's the it's the weddings. It's the birth of a child. It's the it's the MLS yeah. Cups and the, and the other points, too. And, um, and and that's kind of the gift that I, I think God's given. It's the I mean, we even dug up some pictures, Wells, of uh, having having you guys over for some pumpkin carving at the house. And uh, yeah. so my older daughter now, she's like, Dad, can you just call the guys and just say, I'm sorry, like, cause she's looking at these pictures of her as a little kid, like hanging on you guys or running around with you guys. She's a little <laughs> embarrassed, but, uh, I was like, girl, don't worry about it. You know, you, you, we, we were a family back then. You know, we, 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 we brought, we brought everybody in because you were so far from family and we just made you guys our own family. So that was, that's part of our favorite memories and times too, because, uh, as you said, you get to meet so many unique and different people from around the world 
and and we share the gift of of fellowship and friendship with each other, it's really a beautiful thing. It really is. It really is. Well, Wells, um, I know I, I, I've been around football, soccer long enough to know it's not all glitz and glam. Uh, it's not all glory. But what were some of the harder times and things that you had to go through? I mean, I, I kind of imagine too. I mean, you're kind of in the earlier days of MLS. Salaries are kind of have climbed up now. Um, you, you've played for some lower division teams too, which I, I know sometimes that's a real grind because you're you're not flying everywhere, you're busing everywhere, or or there's just there's just different nuances. But what were some of the things that were harder for you uh, to go through? Was was it was it being traded? Was it being was it moving at different points and not really having control? What what were some of those harder things for you as you went through your career that you had to go through? Yeah, I mean, I think that life is, uh, and, you know, pro sports is not, um, is, is no different. Like it's just, it's a bunch of ups and downs. Right. And, uh, I don't know much and I've headed a lot of soccer balls, but I do know, uh, that we all go through challenges and we're all in challenges and or we're just all coming out of, out of different things. But, um, certainly there's a few things that come to mind. Being traded was difficult for sure. I mean, um, I was being traded from Colorado is especially difficult. We were actually, uh, I was playing on the Colorado, uh, and we had a game out in Chicago and, uh, played. And then I remember being on the bus and being like, I would never want to be traded here. I'd never want to play here. And I was traded Mm -hmm. the next week. And so I had to go. And then I was in the locker room of the guys that I just competed against and was, you know, rubbing shoulders with. And that was difficult. And then you're taking someone's position. Um, you know, I think of, uh, you know, there's so much that goes into getting to this sort of level, there's hopes and there's dreams. And so I think part of it is, uh, seeing other people's dreams being crushed, whether it's through injuries, whether it's, you know, your friends being cut, um, you know, uh, your own injuries, right? Like, I think the the greatest challenge that I faced and still face is finding my identity in my performance. And mm. so as an athlete, that's very easy to do because you, that's how you're judged. That's how you're evaluated. I mean, you're, you know, you can lose your job if you don't practice well. Right. So you have to make sure that, and that's, that's kind of what makes you, uh, what helps you get to that level, right. Is that you, you play hard and you play well and you try to do it as consistently as possible. And so uh, there were certainly times in my career when I wasn't playing. And so, that was just so hard for me. Um, and, you know, looking back now, uh, the, the regret is the hard part because now you wish you, instead of pouted and, you know, succumbed to self-pity that you would use that to, and no doubt there were times that I did use that to motivate and inspire me to work harder, but um, you didn't, en- I wasn't able to enjoy it as much because I was so focused on, what wasn't happening for me versus just, you know, enjoying being there. And again, it's that fine line of being motivated and and hungry um, versus being content. And, uh, but it's a, it's a difficult world. And then, you know, retiring, uh, I know most people don't retire right on their own terms. I certainly didn't. Um, I had some injuries, um, you know, I was back in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is where I live now. My wife has a company here. And so my plan was to kind of play for five, six, as long as, you know, I could play. I'd really fallen back in love with the game. I felt like I was as good as I'd ever been. And, uh, you know, the, they don't take care of you quite as well in the lower leagues. I mean, one thing I will say about the MLS is, like, you get an injury, you're taken care of. Uh, I never had an issue. Um, I'm sure some guys have, but it's not the same way in the lower leagues. Maybe it is today. I don't know, but, um, you know, I just had a hip injury. I started, I was having kids and, you know, there comes a point where you just have to, you know, kind of ask yourselves, is it worth it? And me and my wife had these discussions and it was, I I feel like it was just time for me to kind of move on to what was next. And that, that, you know, I read something this week actually about Lindsay Vaughn talking about retiring from press skiing and she related it to a death, you know, that yeah. you have to mourn. And, yeah. uh, it was, I, I mourned hard 
for the first three years. And I think I'm in my fourth or fifth year now. And, uh, you know, I would probably say now that I will probably mourn soccer for the rest of my life because, um, you know, I'm, I, at this point where I am now, I can look back and be more thankful, but it was extremely difficult that transition out of it. Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate you being open and vulnerable with that. I, I think that so many times we don't realize, especially for uh, athletes at elite levels, uh, you've you've spent so much of your life in and around the game, um, fine-tuning yourself, sharpening yourself, working hard, performing, and and carrying all the balance that you that you just talked about. You know, how do you? How do you balance identity and identity and performance and identity and other things? And, and then you come to this point where, like you said, you, you retire and, and most of us in our professional lives, we won't retire until we're much older and, and, and we have maturity and tools and, and maybe even a heartfelt readiness to retire. Um, we, we face retirement and even some of the, some of the folks that I know that, are retired and, and they've been executives and CEOs, they, they still, they, they come back to me and they go, Rev, I, I, I need purpose. I need something to do. I just can't sit around all day and drink coffee and play golf. And, and, and so they're looking for purpose and intentionality and they want to use their gifts and their, their maturity and their seasonedness to help others. And they feel like they've been sidelined by their age or sidelined by the world's gone up and, gotten all technological on them and so but here you are at what age did you retire what what was uh, it like? 30, 31 31 31 which is actually about average or maybe a little bit above average for for a pro football player today in in the world um but here you are at 30 31 or or even younger some guys and you're forced to as you said face this death this loss uh, this death of a dream, this death of a, a career or, a, or a, at least a passion and, and a certain level of, of executing and, and living out that passion. And, you know, for me as a chaplain, that's been one of the, the challenges is how do, how do we equip people? How do we have good conversations around that time when the, the, the R word comes up? And, and that's, that is, uh, as you said, well, that's, that's a challenging time. And, um, it, it certainly is, is really difficult if, if you don't have all the support around you that, uh, that, that you could, and, and, and you've had a lot of support throughout your life and throughout your career, right? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I've got a, my family is awesome, always been there for me. And, uh, I mean, I, you know, I think that, too, Brad, and I don't know if I realized it at the time, but just you, like your presence and 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 you having you there um, in the midst of that. I mean, I think that I, you know I would attribute. I would say that you're probably one of the the guys that spiritually um, has been the most impactful in my life, and uh, I. I, I I wouldn't have said it at the time. I don't know if I would have realized it at the time. And, you know, we said hindsight's twenty twenty, right? And I think that that's the hard part about, you know, you talk about the R word retirement is that you don't know what you don't know. So you don't know that when you retire, you're going to be, you're going to question who you are and have no idea who you are without this one constant in your life um, anymore, right? So I, I joke about it too, is I... You know, I would I use my platform to go to churches and and I would share my story and just try to encourage and inspire people. And one of the things that I would try to do is encourage them that like they aren't they aren't what they do they aren't you know they aren't their job or and you shouldn't put your identity in anything that can be taken away from you, right? And uh, I laugh about it now because I had no idea at the time that my identity was firmly planted in soccer, and mm. so that was a that was a true shock. Uh, for me, when I retired, just realizing, I'm like, holy cow, I don't have this one thing that I've had in my life since four years old. Well, who the heck am I? And so um, I think in order to transition well from, yeah, I mean, even college athletics, but it's, but definitely pro sports is to um, is to start while you're playing. And the sooner, the better. 
um, because it is hard. And I, I have to say these days, I was a one-trick pony, and that was soccer. Mm. And I rode that mm. pony till it died, and I tried to revive it a couple of times. It just wouldn't get up. Give up, get up. <laughs> um, but it's, it's important to have outside interests and to to find out what you're passionate about and to learn and to grow and to, you know, take school seriously. And, um, because I'm going to spend the majority of my life, like I have a, hopefully God willing, a lot of life left to live. And that life isn't going to be playing soccer, but I lived my whole life. Like I would play soccer for the rest of my life. Hmm. Hmm. Well, that's, uh, Man, you, I'm, I'm taking some notes here as we've gone along, and I'm like, oh, we need to talk about that. Oh, we need to talk about that. And, and I feel like we're just going to have to have you back on the podcast for sure because you, you have so much you can share out of your own story because you've been there and you've gone through these things. And, and you know, one of the things I think that, that you've said and kind of um, touched on is the very fact that sometimes we need to understand that uh, – it's it, we have to have the longer play in view, right? I mean, as a midfielder, right? You run a lot, right? How, how many miles do you think you ran in the course of your your twenty years playing the game? Did, have you ever tried to figure that out? <laughs> no, that I haven't. It'd be a lot. That that would be an interesting calculation. But but uh, I mean, on average, how many how many miles do you think you ran in a game? I, I've heard different averages kind of thrown out there. But for a midfielder, what what's a typical during the course of a game, how how much do you run? I don't know. What do they say? Like seven to eleven or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I've I've heard midfielders. It's it's up that high. I've heard, you know, maybe maybe a a ten who doesn't move too much is still moving about five miles in a game. But I mean, that's a lot. And when you think about that over the course of ninety minutes, it's not all it's not all at one pace. I mean, that's the beauty of running today. Like if you're a distance runner or a a marathon or ultra, you, you learn to pace out for the long view, right? Um, I imagine as a football player too, you've got to conserve energy. You've got to know when to, when to sprint, when to jog back, when to, when to make your moves. And, and really what you're talking about here is, is having a framework for life so that you can be involved in the long run, not, not just in a short, a short sprint and a, an all out flat out, you know, foot race with Omar Cummings. Um, you really have to be equipped to, to have some of those tools for the longer race. And, and that's, that's really a challenge. What I'm hearing you say, Wells, is that, is that true? Yeah. I mean, that the, the, the thing that comes to mind is um, equating working hard versus working smart and um, I think that, you know, especially as a young kid, I mean, you can relate this to, to anything you do in life, right? Like getting out into the business world, you just, you, you try to work as hard as you can, right? So you're just putting so many hours in. And then um, for pro athletes, the older you get, um, the more you really kind of have to be aware of your body, take care of your body, make sure, um, you know, you're not doing unnecessary things because you could just be working too hard, right? And you need to slow it down a little bit and uh, take some more time off and then you'll, your body will be more efficient that way. And so, um, yeah, I think that that can be uh, just related to life in general. Like, do we put thought into, um, you know, what we're going to do the rest of our lives as a pro athlete or do we just focus on the here and now? And, um, I think that there's a, there's some myths around, um, around, uh, like retirement and focusing on other things. I think that for athletes are kind of encouraged to put every single thing that they have. And I think the dialogue's changing a little bit now. I mean, you see a lot of like the Steph Curry, the Kevin Durant, Andre Iguodala's, like a lot of pro athletes are, you know, Amobi. Apugos, like there's a, there's some guys that come to mind that are trying to say that we're more than just athletes, right? Like, right, right. We're, we're not we're not just an athlete. There's there's more to us, and so I think that the more that we as pro athletes can see ourselves that way, the more that we don't identify and pigeonhole ourselves just as pro athletes, the better off that we're going to be. Because really, at the end of the day, one of the struggles I found. Um, when I retired was, um, you know, employers wanted to know what kind of 
tangible experience I had. And I didn't really have any. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of intangible things that correlate to the business world, right? I mean, you think about it, teamwork, uh, dedication, sacrifice, um, uh, the drive to go after a long-term goal. I mean, all these things, right, can correlate to the real world. And I think that um, it's important for us, though, to, to understand how they translate and to, um, to uh, I don't know, even almost do the work to figure that out, to flesh that out, because I was left with, um, you know, my idea when I retired was that people would, you know, press release would, would go out, people would line up at my doorstep and start bidding for my services because what was reiterated over and over again to me, repeated to me from other people was that everybody loves to hire pro athletes. And uh, although that might be true, I just didn't find that to be true for me in my experience. And so that was difficult, right? You're at the top of your game in one, uh, one kind of sphere industry. And then you expect when you translate to the real world that you would kind of start out where you were in the other industry, right? Or the other yeah. sphere. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, that's I a, that's a common, that's a common story for so many pro athletes because they expect to be excellent and elite at the next thing that they do. In fact, uh, a friend of mine who was a, a pro uh, NFL player said the same thing. He, he invested a lot of money into a company and he, you know, start up and they were, they were going gangbusters in the beginning, but then lost everything because he just kept working hard and going, yeah, I think the success I had on the field, I should have that in this next industry. And um, it took some courageous people to tell him, Hey, you need to, you need to stop because you're not being successful. And that's, that can be some of the most hurtful, hard things for someone who has worked at a professionally elite level to hear at some point. And uh, I, I think that's a huge challenge. I, I know so many of the athletes that I would speak to, I would ask them, I would say, what are your plans for the next chapter? What are your plans for when soccer's finished? And and so many would come back to me and go, Rev, I don't even think that way because I can't. If I think that way for a minute, it will detract from who I am on the field now today. And so, so many guys wrestle with that challenge. And as you said, that myth, and that's really difficult. And I think you are seeing more athletes today that are diversifying themselves. They're creating a brand. They're getting involved and invested into other businesses, other programs, so that there are options for them when they complete and finish the game. And I've seen some guys do that really well, even in the lower divisions of of soccer, that they've not necessarily been an MLS player, but they've learned, look, when I go to a different city, a different team, I'm going to network. I'm going to get to know people. I'm going to build relationships. And those things, uh, in the end, could end up being part of the next chapter, the next thing that they end up doing. So, 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 Wells, tell me what what are you up to today? What what are the things that you're doing since retirement? Yeah, you know, I uh, it's I, uh, I I tried to do a little bit of coaching. I started my own business while well, Thompson Soccer in 2011, and so I did camps and stuff like in my off season. And I tried to continue that when I was when I retired from the sport, but I really needed to kind of get away from soccer and find out who I was. And so I kind of, I walked away from the game and I took a sales job and I did that for three years. And, um, I traveled and left my family and I was like, I don't want to do that. Um, Hmm. like I said, I have three kids and I didn't want to sacrifice my time with them to chase any sort of worldly success. And I'm a dreamer. I'm a, I'm a visionary. I'm a kind of, um, go big or go home type guy. And, um, I just started learning about the opportunity to buy businesses. Okay. And so currently right now, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, baby boomers looking to retire 10,000 a day, actually, according to the wall street journal. And, uh, so what I'm trying to do is, is, uh, carry on the legacy of someone that's ready to retire, you know, someone that's spent their whole life into a business and cares about their legacy and cares about their employees and, um, when I, when I came to know Jesus, I knew that soccer was my platform. And, uh, when I got out into the business world, I saw a big separation of, uh, faith and work. And, uh, the more that I kind of do- dove into that and, and wrestled with it, um, what I came to believe is that outside of your immediate family, 
I believe that work is the greatest opportunity to impact lives uh, mm-hmm. and to love on other people and impact his kingdom. And so my goals and visions right now, and I think that, I, you know, I'm still fleshing it out, but I would love to uh, team with uh, like-minded individuals that want to take their faith to the workplace and just love on people. And uh, so I'm looking for businesses to buy. It's a, it's a lot harder than it sounds. It probably sounds hard to you. It sounded easy to me. And, uh, uh, but I've not found it to be easy. It's a, it's, it's definitely a process. Um, You know, another thing that I'm into is I've, I've tried to fill like basically, if you think about it, I got paid for a living to work out. And so <laughs> I've tried to fill that void and, and fill that competitive void. And so I got into CrossFit, um, did like some Krav Maga for a little bit. And what I've really found that I enjoy is ultra running. So ultra running basically is anything greater than a marathon. And they're usually done on single track trails in the mountains. Wow. And so... Um, you know, like I got into a 50 K, which is 32 miles and a 50 miler. And then I did a hundred K, which is 62 miles. And, um, next weekend, I'm actually going to run, uh, for 24 hours straight, hopefully over a hundred miles. Wait, wait, back up the bus. 24 hours. Well, are you kidding? Yes. Yeah. 24 hours. Basically think about like running and walking with a buffet. So you have to make sure that you're fueling enough and, and eating enough food. So, so, so the picture that comes to my mind is Forrest Gump with a, a box of pizza in his hand and he's taking a slice out eating as he runs. Is it? Yeah, no, that's what you're doing. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So wow. I, uh, you know, because of COVID, um, um, you know, we can't have a race where people come race with us. So we're doing somewhat of a virtual race. Uh, so I've teamed with Hydrating Humanity, which is a, a local nonprofit that provides clean drinking water, hygiene education, and hope to the people of East Africa. And so I'm going to run to raise funds for them. Uh, I think also, too, I want to encourage and inspire people. Um, COVID has brought a lot of uh, destruction and death and fear. And... Uh, and uh, I want to, you know, give people hope. And, you know, it, it's easy to want to curl up in a ball and say, I can't do this. I'm helpless. Um, um, but we can. We, we, can't, we can continue to give back. We just have to get creative in what that looks like, you know. So we're inviting people to run and, and donate with us. And um, I'm sure you've seen them in, in your life, Brad. But, you know, personal examples or seen them in the media of people um, doing things differently to try to bless and give back to other people. And so, you know, we're resilient people. And one thing I love about ultra running is that I actually don't really love to run. Like I I do like to run, but not for like 24 hours, right. Or not for like 10 hours. What I love is getting out of my comfort zone and pushing past my limits and, you know, but I, I didn't even know about ultra running before I retired. I thought marathon, that was kind of it. That's as far as you ever want to go. <laughs> and, and, then, and then you learn about this whole kind of subculture. And so you talk to people that don't know about ultra running and they're like, wow, that's not good for you. That's horrible for you. And, you know, my thing is maybe it's horrible for me, for my body, but it's so good for my soul. I don't know how mm-hmm. to explain it, but I... uh it, it, it makes me a better man. It draws me closer to God. It, uh, it, uh, it does something to me that is, uh, inexplainable. And so I'm kind of hooked and I'm excited now that I get to, to run for a cause that's bigger than myself to provide, you know, a daily necessity, clean drinking water, something that we all, especially in this country, probably, or I know I do myself take for granted and, sure. uh, Sure. And to, yeah. to be able to provide that for people in East Africa. I mean, at the end Sweet. of the day, there's so many, there's so many good things. There are so many awesome organizations out there that are doing so many incredible things. And, uh, I just want to encourage people to, to give and to support them during the process. Yeah. Well, Wells, for sure. Um, we will get the, uh, the links and the notations into, uh, into the podcast for those of you that maybe are interested in, uh, supporting Wells as he runs for 24 hours for clean water. 
We'll have some in the liner notes. We'll have some links to Hydrating Humanity and the 24-hour run for clean water. Uh, we'll have some links to that. Wells, that's that's coming up this weekend, isn't it? Uh, May 15th through 16th, 24 hours you're running, and uh, we can be uh, donating. We can be praying, or people can participate too. They can run, walk, or bike for a portion of that 24 hours. Is that right? Yeah, so uh, if you go to run for the number four clean water uh, dot com, uh, there's you can support me and and donate. You know, per mile, you can join the race with us, and we encourage people to do that. Whether they have a Fitbit, they can take pictures of how far they run and and donate a, whatever they want per mile that they run, or they can just do a one time donation. Okay. Um, so run. Okay. For so, clean water. So well, as you mentioned that. I had this image of uh, the office, right? And uh, <laughs> I was just thinking it's per mile. So, so folks just be careful. You know, uh, I could just imagine some of us getting that confused and being like, Oh yeah, 25 bucks. Yeah. 25 bucks a mile. That's uh, uh, how many miles do you think you're going to be, you're going to be doing in, the, in this? My, my goal is a hundred miles, hundred miles. Okay, sweet. Hey, uh, while you're talking about ultras, uh, I, I, I just have to share this story. Uh, sorry, I'm digressing here a little bit here on this podcast, but, um, there's a thing in Colorado. I think you should come out and do it. And if you do bring the family, we'd love to have them. Uh, we'll sit around while you're doing it, but it's called the Leadville 100 and it's, and it's an ultra at altitude. And so people are running in the middle of the night, uh, in this, in this race course, hundred miles, the Leadville 100 at, at altitude, you're up at like. I think it's 10, 12,000 feet, somewhere around there. You should look it up. Um, but what's funny is my family and I were camping a few years ago, and the, the Leadville 100 was going on. Well, my wife and the kids are walking, and they're like, oh, look at all these glow sticks out here. Like, why are they just out here? And they, they ended up taking some of them because they're like, oh, you know, this would be great for the kids tonight. They're still kind of working, and sure enough, in the middle of the night, we hear people like crashing through the woods, like going off course. And I'm just like shaking my head, like wife, you have just taken the glow sticks off the course markers for the Leadville 100. We are going to get in so much trouble and our kids are playing with them in the tent. So anyway, if you come out and do the Leadville 100, we will, we'll camp out with you and your family and uh, we'll cheer you on for the, five minutes that we we watch you run by maybe and uh it would it would be great to to have you and the family back here wells no that's legit man i would love to do that those men and women that do that i think you have to qualify for that or something or there's you like, you uh, might you might you might and um you know i i don't know do you know uh you know sam cronin really well i do yeah we put so we he grew up in winston as well he played at wake with me and he's actually back in raleigh now yeah, you know, I think one of his brothers does some ultra marathoning as well. So uh, we, we need to make sure you guys are connected and uh, and uh, maybe you guys can form a, a race team. The, the Winston-Salem, I don't know, something. Demon Deacons, or I, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll think of something that, uh, that reflects uh, where you guys are. Well, hey, uh, Wells, today I want to close it out. I want to pray a blessing over you as you go on this run that you're about to take on. And I want to pray a blessing for the other quote unquote runners that are out there. And whether you're running as an elite level athlete or performer, or you're running for the fun of it, or you're running to stay in some form of fitness during our global pandemic, this blessing is, is just for you. And it's, it's original in the sense that it's a compilation. There are many places in the Bible where running's referred to as a metaphor for life and for more. And I'll link to some of the verses that comprise the lines of this blessing in the episode notes. So as you listen, perhaps just join me in spirit as I pray over Wells and over you and others who are quote-unquote runners. Lord, we know that in a typical race, runners run for a prize. We run on the pitch for position or to be the first to a ball. We run to recover on defense. We run to beat the offside trap and score the goal. We run, not aimlessly, but with purpose. Lord, in life, help us to run in the right ways. Help us to make good runs, runs that are healthy and beneficial for you and for your kingdom, for our neighbor, whether they be friend or foe, and even for ourselves. 
Help us to run and not chase the foolish things of the world. Help us to run and not to stumble, even though the footing is slippery or complicated. Help us to run with perseverance, the full course that you've marked out for us. May we rise up on wings of eagles. May we run and not grow tired. And even if we slow to a walk, may we not be faint. But help us to cross the finish lines of life. Help us to complete our runs. Help us to run good races with perseverance, not getting cut off or cut down. May we have swiftness of foot, strength of heart, and clearness of thought and direction as we run after you. Amen. Well, this is Red Brad and Wells Thompson running with you from the touchline.